worth of experience in the field. He is a part of the special envoy of the World Wildlife Fund International and is currently the convener of the Nature Positive Initiative. On this episode, we discuss the concept of Nature Positive and how uh, the initiative aims to achieve Nature Positive by 2030 and a way forward beyond. Welcome, Marco, to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. First question is, what exactly is Nature Positive? So the first thing to say is that Nature Positive is not a slogan, uh, like it may sound, but actually it is a goal. It is comparable to carbon neutral in the climate space. Carbon neutral is achieved by net zero emissions, and Nature Positive is achieved by net positive biodiversity. In simple words, means that we need to deliver more nature, not less. More nature in a, is a measurable goal. Uh, that means a net biodiversity outcome by 2030 on a 2020 baseline. So more nature at the end of the decade that at its starts. Uh, and, uh, and with this ambition uh, and its measurability as well, it makes it also a very disruptive goal, uh, as you can imagine. You know, because you know, the, to achieve a net positive biodiversity by the end of the decade, uh, we require, uh, we will have to protect more of the nature left on the planet, restore much of what we have lost uh, or degraded, and particularly transition key economic sectors today responsible for nature loss, the big five, agriculture, fisheries, forestry, structures, infrastructure, uh, moving those sectors from being nature positive today, sorry, nature negative today to nature positive tomorrow. Uh, and of course, redirect all the finances, private and public, that will allow those transitions to happen. So that's nature positive. Net positive biodiversity, more nature at the end of the decade than at the start. Why do human societies need to become more nature positive and how are we impacted by biodiversity loss? Yeah, so intuitively, uh, I think uh, we all know that nature is, is the foundation of all aspects of our existence, of our life. It provides the oxygen we breathe, roughly half of the world vegetation provides half of the oxygen we breathe, and the other half is provided by the ocean, much less appreciated by equally important. Nature provides the water we drink, provides uh, uh, all the, um, uh, uh, the food that, that, we, that we grow, uh, provide water for our activities from in agriculture to industry, provides uh, uh, materials like timber, um, and most of life-saving medicines are still derived by natural compounds. But even engineering innovation are often inspired by nature, so-called biomimicry. So nature is the foundation for almost, I would say, all aspects of our lives. And, um, and, uh, and in, in classic economic terms, uh, if, if you like, has been calculated that half of the uh, world uh, GDP depends on health ecosystem providing a variety of goods and services. And of course, natural ecosystems on land, fresh water, in the ocean also absorb over half of the CO2 anthropogenic emissions, the emissions they we generate. And so uh, to stay below the 1.5 degrees uh, 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 limit that we've given ourselves in the Paris Agreement, net zero emissions won't be enough. We need also to preserve and restore nature's ability to sequester carbon from the atmosphere and store it in, in, in its ecosystems. So the understanding of how nature is important and how important are nature's contributions to humanity has been growing 
over the last few years. So that today, increasingly, nature loss is not any longer an isolated ecological issue, but actually an issue affecting our economy, our social cohesion, health, well-being. In other words, is together with climate change becoming a security issue for humanity. So a major shift in the perception from years and years, decades and centuries in which we have been taking nature for granted. Now we know that we can't any longer, and we depend on nature, in fact, more than nature depends on us. So could you elaborate a bit about the Nature Positive Initiative and the global goal for nature? And also, what is your role in this campaign? So despite uh, <clears throat> despite decades of efforts, um, the global trends uh, on the loss of nature remain deeply alarming. And so urgent and uh, upscale action is needed to address the biodiversity crisis this decade and conserve and restore natural ecosystems that underpin uh, humanity's sustainable and equitable development options. The purpose of the Nature Positive Initiative is exactly to stimulate and support the world in addressing this accelerating biodiversity crisis by meeting the crucial goal of halting and reversing, halting and reversing biodiversity loss by 2030. And uh, the initiative wants to bring together many organizations, institutions from all sectors in society, from environmental and humanitarian civil society organizations to business, financial institutions and platforms, governments, of course, to all support implementation of, of a nature positive goal by also developing guidance to ensure a true net positive biodiversity outcomes. And true is a key word here because um, uh, the, the word uh, nature positive is wisely used uh, often, as I said at the beginning, as a slogan rather than a measurable goal. But actually, it is a goal. It is a goal that is meant to bound companies and governments to reduce their footprint and to invest in nature conservation and restoration so that we have a net positive outcome. So the initiative is supporting the societal effort uh, across different sectors uh, to deliver more nature by the end of the decade, not continuing to lose it. So a goal of the initiative is halting and reversing biodiversity loss by 2030 from a 2020 baseline. So what exactly do you mean by a 2020 baseline? And can you el elaborate a bit on the baseline syndrome which is affecting conservation? So uh, any, uh, any goal in order to uh, be measured and therefore to be achieved needs a baseline as a reference and a deadline uh, uh, as an endpoint. And so uh, with reference to the Nature Positive Goal, we have identified 2020 as the baseline for delivering more nature in 2030. Uh, so, uh, so that in 2030 we have more nature than in 2020. Uh, and more nature means uh, more natural ecosystems, uh, more uh, species and, and uh, greater populations of species, um, uh, more intact natural processes, basically uh, the usual metrics that are normally used to, to measure uh, nature and biodiversity. Uh, so net, net positive outcomes by 2030 on a 2020 baseline, it's, it's a clear, simple and measurable goal and give us a clear reference point to actually measure progress. And of course, it's also highly, highly ambitious. It means that after centuries of, uh, 
uh, and particularly the last decades of accelerating nature laws, we will have not only to hold, but also to reverse the loss, so to restore uh, part of nature that we lost. And of course, the, 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 this decade, the effort by 2030, is just the start. We will need to continue to restore nature in the decades after 2030, because there is plenty of potential for nature to come back in many degraded uh, regions of the world with incredible benefits to the local communities, the local economy, and the global stability of climate and, and, and ecosystems. Science is telling us that unless we reverse natural loss and maintain roughly half of the planet as a minimum is a natural in a natural state, allowing ecosystem to function, unless we do that, entire system from weather systems like monsoon or just oceanic currents, entire ecosystems like polar, polar ice sheets or glaciers, coral reefs, and also entire ecoregions like the Amazon, for example, will occur in a change of state, tipping point. This will make the world look very different from today, and, will be and we will be challenged to adapt to a much more unstable and dangerous planet where extreme climatic events will intensify and nature will fail to provide many of the services and goods that we are being we've been enjoying until now. So uh, this is a, a, a crucial goal uh, for, for the security uh, uh, in the safe future of humanity. So how exactly are the uh, sustainable development goals linked to the concept of nature positive? Yeah, it's, in, it's completely linked because uh, we now know that the economy and society, a stable, healthy society, are subsidiaries of ecology, meaning that there is not going to be prosperity, equality in a degraded planet. And, uh, and we're beginning to see the effects of climate change or the most vulnerable communities, for example, around the world. And nature loss will continue to aggravate that situation. So a nature-positive economy, a nature-positive society, is one that preserves and helps regenerate nature uh, as a necessary condition for human development in all its forms. There's never been a better time for humans on one hand, uh, because uh, we've been developing and achieving a lot of uh, progress on uh, different fronts. Think about life expectancy, think about uh, extreme poverty, childbirth mortality. All these indicators have been improving over the last particularly few decades. Of course, not equitably around the world, but uh, overall uh, there's been progress. But uh, the paradox of today is that, uh, and it is also the failure of our, uh, of our current economic model, is that on one hand, uh, uh, we have uh, developed at the expenses of nature. And so uh, we've seen uh, nature declining. And so effectively, the, the decline of nature now is beginning to undermine prospect for future progress, uh, unless we change course and we develop sustainably, but also affecting uh, achieved progress. So we're seeing for the first time climate change affecting uh, uh, extreme poverty levels in, in a number of regions uh, heavily impacted by, by extreme weather events. So a stable, predictable planet, uh, which is the reason for our civilization to thrive in the last thousand years, is beginning to weaken. Um, and, 
and uh, and also natural loss and climate change are equally a justice issue because the most vulnerable populations are more affected and also an intergenerational justice issue because we're leaving our uh, children and future generations a terrible, difficult legacy to deal with. So that's how uh, uh, a nature positive goal uh, underpin the SDGs. Uh, there is not going to be a, a people positive future uh, without a nature positive one. So how can businesses contribute to becoming nature positive? <laughs> um, I think the answer is straightforward by changing, uh, because uh, the, the transition from nature negative to nature positive practices is is the way a business can uh, can uh, uh, contribute to a nature positive future and rectify um, the mistake and the footprint that has had until now. Unsustainable production practices has been and still today the main cause of climate change and nature loss. So business has been and still is the big part of the problem. Uh, and business can be a big part of the solution if it, it embraces uh, uh, transitions uh, towards sustainable practices that lead to stabilization of the climate and net uh, positive biodiversity outcomes. So um, how to do that? Business needs to first <clears throat> assess the footprint, truly assess their full footprint, avoid and mitigate the footprint, compensate what's in as an avoidable impact because there are residual unavoidable impact, but just the absolutely unavoidable one. And this is a process that in order to deliver a nature positive outcome re require high integrity, high integrity to to run these assessments uh, uh, properly. And uh, the nature positive initiative that uh, we mentioned at the beginning, uh, one of the main purposes of the initiative is in fact to ensure high integrity in designing and implementing nature positive plans, avoiding failures and greenwashing from, uh, from a corporate perspective. So ultimately what will drive businesses to change is not only the growing awareness of the impact uh, uh, that they're having, uh, the, the pressure from their own employees, from, from the public, uh, but also we will need regulation to kick in, create level playing field, and also at the same time incentives for businesses to, uh, to transition to, to new practices, sustainable, nature-positive practices. What do you think are some of the short and long-term challenges facing the Nature Positive Initiative at a global scale? Yeah, quite a few, <laughs> because, you know, uh, after centuries of taking nature for granted, now we're talking and declining of nature, we're now talking about reversing all that in a decade. So uh, the first challenge, I would say, is, is a cultural one, uh, because... Uh, as I said earlier, we have always taken nature for granted. Nature was dominant, plentiful, all around us for millennia. We've been evolved, competing, extracting, exploiting resources at an increasingly uh, uh, exponentially, in fact, accelerating rate. Uh, because in the early days, nature was able to replenish itself. But under an exponential population growth, and major, coupled with major technological advances, 
our ability to impact nature, our ability to squeeze out of nature and natural resources um, has increased exponentially. And with that, our consumption patterns. Again, not equitably. Some regions of the world overconsume, some others, of course, are still uh, suffering uh, from uh, under, under uh, so for lack of access to resources, even. But uh, overall, our consumption exponentially grown. Uh, and uh, we know that this is uh, unsustainable because the, this is based on the, the delusional idea that we could uh, extract resources at this rate forever, that resources, natural resources are in, in infinite and they're not, they're not very finite, as we know, as we know today. But if you look at the extraction of the use of energy, of water, fish, timber, minerals, all the, these commodities, all these natural resources have followed an exponential growth of consumption over the last uh, particularly 70 years. This is what is referred as the Great Acceleration. Uh, and uh, and we know that this is now uh, absolutely uh, unsustainable, particularly with the population that lives on the planet today, 8 billion people, um, and uh, with the need to provide to all these 8 billion people uh, decent lives and, uh, and access to resources. So um, we are living outside planetary boundaries, and the cultural challenge is to recognize that, to recognize the current failing economic model, and understand that the consequences that continuing to degrade the natural world uh, will have on our lives, uh, of, uh, and on particularly the lives of future generations. So we must stop taking nature for granted. We must recognize natural material contribution to humanity, and start embracing sustainable ways of uh, uh, using natural resources. That's absolutely possible. There are many ways of doing that. There are many examples, uh, uh, local examples, need to scale that up and make it uh, the new mainstream production and consumption system. A system that values uh, nature in many different ways and, uh, and, uses na and stop using nature wastefully and destructively as we've done until now. So, in a nature positive way. How exactly does, does this initiative aim to deliver nature positive outcome by 2030? Yeah, so um, after decades of, of inadequate commitments and, and inadequate action vis-a-vis -vis nature, last December, in December 2023, the world under the UN Convention on Biological Diversity, the Nature Convention, if you like, has adopted a global biodiversity framework, which is basically a global plan to address biodiversity loss, including the mission that sets exactly the measurable goal, global goal of holding biodiversity loss by 2030, effectively a nature positive goal. So, uh, but alongside this mission, the framework includes for the first time a number of other measurable targets to deliver this ambition. Uh, in summary, because the, the, the plan is quite uh, complex and, 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 and holistic, but in essence, it says, first of all, uh, uh, a target of protecting 30% at least of the natural ecosystems of land, freshwater, and the ocean remaining on the, on the, on the planet. Secondly, a target of restoring 30% of the graded ecosystems. Um, and to increase dramatically the funding for biodiversity conservation, 
from about 10 billion spent per year today, particularly in the north in the, in, in today, to 30 billion per year, uh, so roughly tripling the current invest, public investment, um, and particularly directing those uh, that increase to economically developing countries, where uh, you know uh, the, the need for nature conservation is higher and biodiversity is higher. Uh, but also reaching an overall $200 billion per year for biodiversity conservation, which is roughly doubling the current domestic and international investment overall. Uh, uh, and so, you know, increasingly substantially the resources for, for nature conservation. There is a weakness of the agreement that, uh, because it does indicate key economic sectors that needs to be reformed, but it doesn't attach targets to that reform, we just mentioned some of the sector like agriculture, like fisheries, like uh, 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 forestry. Um, uh, but there is an, in, an incredibly important additional target, which is um, very specific, very precise. And uh, it is about the elimination, the phasing out, or the, the redirection of half a trillion dollars of harmful subsidies for nature. It's more or less uh, a third uh, what is estimated by most being the harmful subsidies to unsustainable agriculture, to unsustainable forestry, fisheries, infrastructure that today are given out to private sector from governments and have a, 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 a bad harmful impact on nature. So that's a super important target as well. So all this together uh, constitutes the backbone of a really, probably the most ambition, ambitious and most measurable ever plan, global plan for biodiversity. So that's how we're going to be able to deliver a nature positive outcome, nature positive future. So how does the nature positive initiative plan to measure its impact? Yeah, so I would say there are two categories of metrics that needs to be looked at, and both equally important. One category is about the metrics to measure the footprint of each company uh, or sector, and also measure the progress uh, of the company and sector in reducing their footprint. So there are metrics specific to the type of footprint that each company have. So a mining company will have a different type of footprint from a fishing company or for an agricultural company or from a retail company that sources products uh, from different landscapes. But each company uh, should be, uh, uh, is in a position and must uh, assess their footprint and develop metrics to measure and to measure progress in reducing it. That's one first set of metrics specific to the company footprint. Then there is another set of metric, <clears throat> metrics that are more about measuring the end result, the nature positive outcome, the state of nature at the end of all these efforts of reducing the footprint. And this is about uh, measuring ecosystem extent, ecosystem condition, measuring species population, species extinction risk, and also natural processes. Uh, 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 that are underpinning and supporting uh, ecosystem and biodiversity and, and species. So um, these are the kind of metrics that will give us a sense uh, in 2030 whether we, a, a good sense or whether we have increased 
the amount of ecosystem, the amount of spe the, the amount of population, species population, so reduce the risk of extinction, and therefore we have moved into a more nature, not less kind of situation, a net positive uh, biodiversity outcome. So how can individuals contribute to their nature positive future? We are using the right word here, contribute, because uh, at the end of the day, a nature-positive outcome, a global nature-positive outcome, has to be delivered by all actors coming together and doing their part. Individuals, we talked about a lot about companies, financial institutions, of course, providing the money uh, to, to shift uh, practices, uh, governments with the regulation, but also individuals play an important role. Uh, and I would say... Uh, Consumption is the most important dimension uh, because it's a major driver of the current uh, uh, impact of nature. And so, uh, first of all, consume less because we are consuming in, in many regions of the world, not everywhere, of course, as I said earlier, but in the most, uh, in the richest regions of the world, there is no doubt we are consuming too much, too much of almost everything, and we are wasting too much <clears throat> of almost everything. So consume less in general, but also consume better, uh, more sustainably. And so uh, particularly looking and focusing on energy, so sourcing as much as possible, as much as we can uh, from renewable energy, uh, but also food is the second big driver uh, because it's, a really, it's, it's at the top of the list of the uh, uh, sectors, commodities that are impacting uh, nature today. And, and so, uh, uh, much more than other commodities, which are equally also important, like clothing or plastic, etc. But food really top the list. And so, consuming less and consuming sustainable food, we know that uh, you know animal proteins, for example, are having a much higher impact uh, compared to plant-based uh, proteins and food diets. And so, shifting diets is super important. Doesn't doesn't need to be a radical shift. Um, that's up to personal choices. Uh, but necessary. Ne what is necessary is to reduce to reduce the consumption of, of, of the high footprint food that today is very widespread in our diets. I've worked in conservation for over forty years. What have been some of your fondest memories and achievements from your conservation career? Well, as you say, 40 years is a long time, so the memories are many, and, and all, many are quite, uh, quite exciting. There are also some uh, tricky ones, uh, and uh, clearly, like everyone, some, some fail, moment of failures and, and desperation. But uh, uh, look, if you focus on the, on the fondest memories, I think in the early days, one of the, the first things that really, uh, in a way, formed my approach to conservation was an experience I had in my own region. Um, I was born by the sea, I was seeing on the horizon this island since I was a child, and when I had the chance to visit this island, uh, I was I went there, it was a pristine Mediterranean island, beautiful, full of nature, and then suddenly uh, was under attack by a lot of projects of um, very mass tourism development. So with the local uh, young people in the, in the island and partnering with fishers, we mounted a campaign for the declaration of a protected area. The time was the largest marine protected area in Europe. Um, we won the local elections. <laughs> we we convinced the government to establish a national park. Uh, 
the national park is still active and thriving to this day. So that's a big fun, big, big, big memory of, in the early days. Later on, one other thing is that we convinced the Indonesian government to establish um, a, a new regulation that allows private companies and NGOs to manage uh, uh, forest concessions, not only for cutting trees like it used to be, but also for restoring concession already logged over. And uh, so we received the first uh, concession, still there, Harap Andrew Forest, 100,000 hectares of lowland, beautiful forest, teeming with tigers and wildlife and beautiful uh, forest uh, all around. Uh, and, uh, and then many others followed. So that was an example of a policy change that triggered actual conservation of the ground. And finally, uh, the fondest memory closest to, to now is, is December last year when uh, after three years of uh, hard lobbying uh, for uh, the global biodiversity framework, we've seen that approved by almost 200 governments around the world. And it was a, a moment, uh, you know, a Paris moment for nature for all of us. So what are, my final question for you is that what has been some of your greatest learnings from your conservation career? First of all, always focus on impacts. There are many, many ways you need to be flexible on how to get there, how to build a pathway to, to success, to impact. But at the end of the day, uh, what matters is impact. Uh, uh, and so being able to be clear on what you want to achieve and be able to measure that impact and, and really uh, then develop a strategy and a pathway to deliver it uh, is... Uh, it's, uh, it's what I learned and what I would recommend everybody moving in conservation. Focus on impact and then be flexible on how you get there, including engaging with the odd, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, um, unconventional partners. Engage also with, uh, with some of the players and stakeholders that are part of the problem, but nevertheless are, uh, is our job and, and, and increasingly, you know, uh, to, to um, shift their approach, shift their practices. So engage them in a way that includes also listening to their perspectives, to their needs. Uh, and sometimes it's not easy, but, uh, but it's super important if you really want to achieve impact to scale and impact in the long uh, uh, term. Um, uh, the other thing that I learned is that uh, it's so important to work uh, at both levels and connect both levels, local and global. So global policies like the global biodiversity framework I mentioned, super important to drive impact downstream, but equally it's, it's critical that we make sure that ultimately impact on landscape and seascapes around the world is actually happening. Because uh, often global policies remain global, abstract, non-implemented, non-enforced, and of course that's a complete failure. And so connecting uh, the two the two levels, uh, local where impact needs to happen, where actually economy meets the environment, where local communities uh, uh, and, and companies uh, make decisions and decisions that can affect or, or nature or can in fact uh, um, help nature uh, thrive and and, and and regenerate. This is a fundamental level but also the global level or the national level, the policy level, where uh, the goals, the directions are set, where the incentives are, uh, are uh, developed uh, that will uh, uh, help uh, and 
drive uh, those impacts, those changes at the local level. So connect the two, try to, as much as possible, work in making sure that these two levels are connected and supporting each other. But maybe one last thing to say on this uh, is, is because perhaps some you know, young people are, are listening to the podcast. I know that there is right now uh, a lot of uh, anxiety about the future and is justified because the trends of climate and nature, but also social economic trends related to all this destabilization on the planet are, are, are worrying. But I think to the young people, I, I like to say, first of all, don't despair. Be angry for what you see happening in the world, but direct your frustration in advocating in advocating uh, for and in, in driving change, starting from your own lifestyle, as well as your uh, using your powers of voters and consumers to influence uh, uh, to influence society and economy at, at a broader scale. But most importantly, you know, don't give up. Don't succumb to anxiety or to cynicism because uh, uh, we will have to continue to do our best to push, for, to push for change. We know what inactions will lead us to. We know that inaction will lead us to a catastrophic future. And so actually, I will turn it anxiety and cynicism and pessimism on, on its head and say, the challenges of today uh, are unprecedented, but be excited about that. Be excited because it is this generation, it is your generation, not the next one, that has the amazing an unmissable opportunity to build the most sustainable and safer and equitable future, an initial positive future, one that respects, one based on respect and responsibility, one that recognizes nature's intrinsic value on one hand, but also uh, indispensability and the material value of nature to us, to our future. So uh, keep up, don't give up, and, uh, and focus on real impact and real change uh, at all levels, including starting from our own show from our own lifestyles. So that is a very positive way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Think Wildlife podcast. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends.